Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-five to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some grain. But God gives it to a body as he has chosen, as to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but for the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for stars differ from stars and star in glory so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body thus it is written the first man adam became a living being the last Adam became a living, a life-giving spirit, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust, and as, in the, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you get yourselves comfortable, uh, let me just affirm, contrary to our slide, that the info night is tonight. Uh, it's not next week. It is April 5th, just in case there are, or March 5th, just in case there's any confusion uh, about that, because I think it said next Sunday. It's today. It's today if you want to go. Um, as we, uh, as we turn now to the Word of God, though, again, let me welcome you here. Uh, my name is Brent. Um, I'm going to invite you uh, to, to pray together with me because uh, we need the Holy Spirit's help to open our eyes and see the beautiful things that are here for us. God, we come to you today and we come in the confidence that you love us. God, you love us and you welcome us. God, you have so much for us, so much better than we could imagine better than we could try to find and manufacture for ourselves on our own. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see it in your word. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would work uh, to fill us with hope and with joy, um, to correct us when we need correcting and to encourage us when we need encouragement and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. 
Well, we're in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 until 49, which we just read, but we're covering it in two parts. So this sermon uh, today, we're just looking at verses 35 to 41, and then next week, Parker's going to teach on the rest of the passage for us. So we're going to split it up a little bit. Um, And as as we begin, as we look at this passage, I just had a really simple question for us uh, to get us rolling. And that question is this, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? I think it's a question that that all of us ask at different times in our lives, and maybe with varying degrees of urgency. Um, I was with my daughter last summer, and we parked a car, and we literally parked the car and walked out, and there was a crow dying in front of us. And we watched this crow expire, and Pepper's like, what just happened? (laughs) What what is this? And I had to try to explain to my three-year-old what death was. But we all ask this question, what is death, what happens when we die? And if you're young, you might not think about that question very much right now because your bodies might be healthy. You know, you, you might be thinking about, you know, your university degree or finishing your high school or the next cool thing you're going to do on the weekend. Um, but as we get older and as we see more loved ones die around us and grieve their loss, and as our bodies break down <laughs> and we experience that these things are failing, we start to wonder, what's going to happen when I die? So we ask this question, but so did the ancient Corinthians. And Paul's answer in this passage is as unique and full of hope for us as it was for them. And we're going to look together at what he says and consider why bodily resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies is good news. We're going to look at this in two different points. And I'm going to warn you, the first point's a lot longer than the second point. I'm doing a very unequal thing this morning. We're going to look at the body as seed, and that'll be most of our time. And then we're going to look at the glory of the body, and that will be the rest of our time together. So turn with me to our first point, the body as seed, and read verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? It's a good question. But it's one that the the Corinthians would have asked with a certain amount of sarcasm. They would have asked it with a sarcasm because in their culture, they just simply couldn't get their heads around the idea of a physical resurrection, a bodily resurrection. And the problem was that as Paul taught them and as he came and he proclaimed the good news of the gospel, there was biblical teaching about the resurrection on the one hand over here. And then there was the philosophical and cultural backgrounds about death and immortality that were deeply ingrained in the Corinthian culture over here. And the two were in conflict. The two were in conflict. On the one hand, as we've been seeing, the Bible clearly teaches bodily resurrection. I don't know if you know this, but even before Jesus was raised, the Bible taught this. You can see that in the first half of the Bible, especially in the prophetic literature. I'm going to show you two passages, Daniel 12, 2 and Isaiah 26, 19. And these prophets, they said a long time before Jesus, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And Isaiah 26, 19 says, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Old Testament, first part of the Bible, biblical teaching about resurrection in a bodily way. 
And of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's been teaching as well, hasn't he? That, that actually what happened with Jesus was this. And there's all these witnesses that saw it and, and that gave their lives for what they saw, uh, living faithfully and being changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they themselves witnessed. Jesus, in fact, Paul says, is just the first resurrection of the fulfillment of all of these promises of the dead in Christ rising in the Bible. And so that's biblical culture, biblical ideas, biblical concepts of the resurrection. But it's in conflict with the Corinthian culture on the other hand, because they had a tradition of their own. And in their culture, they denied the possibility of the resurrection of the dead. They just denied it. Now, this isn't possible, and we'll get into why. But you can see the way that they denied this, and it was so difficult for them to wrap their heads around in Acts 17. And if you don't know, Acts 17 is, is a story of, of Paul, and he goes to Athens, which is close by to Corinth, and it was this philosophical center of the world at the time. And he goes to this place called Mars Hill, where he's discussing with the other philosoph- philosophers are there, and he gets a chance to share the gospel about Jesus Christ. So he starts to interact with the, the leading thinkers of the time and telling them about Jesus. But then he ends his gospel proclamation this way. It's so interesting. And as he ends it, he's mocked. He says, in conclusion to what he's been saying already, go look at the passage, I won't read it for you now. He says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. Right? There's a time when you were ignorant about who he is, when he's done, but, but now he commands everybody everywhere to repent, to turn away from their sin because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead. Interesting, eh? Interesting that, that the resurrection of Jesus is actually the grounds by which Paul says you ought to repent. He says, if, if he's the king of kings and lord of lords and, and he will return to judge the living and the dead, then that's got a certain urgency to it in our lives. We should repent, turn from our sin and trust in the grace that is from him. But look at how they received it. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. It's a very strong word. It's not just like they were indifferent. They thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. Paul, we don't agree. They mocked him. And why did they mock? Well, they, they mocked it because the Greeks and the Romans in the ancient world believed that the afterlife was like the old Philadelphia cream cheese commercials. Do you guys remember those? Anybody? Yeah, right? Okay, well, there's like four of you, so I'll explain. They're, they're, they're these commercials, and, and, and they're old, you know, so I don't think I'm that old. Some of you are older than me, um, but a lot of you don't know these things. And, and what it was is, you know, you're, they're this heavenly picture of sitting on clouds and playing harps and, and eating this cream cheese. I think it was a, because it was lighter than, I don't know what it was. I don't know what the point was, lighter than the clouds. But, but the, the, the picture was a disembodied spiritual existence floating somewhere in the heavenlies. And that's not what the Bible teaches, <laughs> But the, the Greeks and the Romans, that's kind of how they thought about the afterlife. They believe that who you really are in your embodied existence has got nothing to do with your body. And who you really are has nothing to do with your physical body. That body is just temporary and needs to be got rid of and discarded. And then you'll live this idealized spiritual reality. That was their cultural norm. So Paul, really, he writes this question to counter their skepticism and to try to provide an answer through the illustration of a seed about what the resurrection is actually like and why the body really matters. Look at verses 35 to 38. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? Come on, Paul, you know better than that. Paul says, you foolish person, (laughs) comes at them. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he's chosen into each kind of seed its own body. See, Paul, through the illustration of a seed, teaches three things about the resurrection body. Number one, he teaches with this illustration that death precedes resurrection life. Number two, he teaches that what's raised is different than what died. What's raised is different, but there's an analogy to it, right? It's still the same thing. Wheat's wheat. The seed's different than, than the seed that's, or the, the reality of what's grown. And third, in this illustration, he teaches us that God is the loving creator who in his goodness and mercy has given us our bodies to be received as a gift. Right, so death precedes life. What is raised is different from our bodies now and God's a loving creator who gives us our bodies. So we're going to unpack these a little bit. We'll, we'll look at each of these in turn, starting first with how seeds teach us that death precedes life. And this is an idea that the Corinthians struggle with at, at the very root. They thought, how can physical life follow physical death? And Paul says, just look at a seed. It's a perfect illustration in the created world of the resurrection. Because the seeds first die and are put in the ground, and that is a prelude to the life that comes from them. And that's just like our resurrection, Paul says. I don't know if you've stopped and, and, and just sat and wonder at a seed anytime recently in your life. We're, we're city folk, right? And maybe we're a little bit too distant from, from the soil, then it's good for us. But seeds really are these remarkable things, aren't they? These really remarkable things. Just take a kid, take a child, and give them the seed of a western catalpa. You know what western catalpa is? Bit of a plant nerd over here. Western catalpas are the beautiful trees that grow on 12th, uh, just south of Connaught Park. You know the ones? Big, huge, giant canopy, and then in the 10 blocks or so preceding Alma on 10th. Right? These enormous canopy of these glorious trees. But if you give a child a seed of a western catalpa and you say, look, here's a seed, that comes from this. This dead thing produces a canopy of golden, glorious leaves in the fall. And they would just stand there and they'd be full of wonderment. You know, I think we kind of lose that, I think, as we, as we age. And what's the resurrection like? Well, Paul says it's like a seed. The dead thing's buried, but death is hardly the right word because death is just a prelude to the life that's coming. This glorious life that's coming. Again, I, I don't know who in this room has a garden or is planning to have a garden. Show of hands this, this next year. A few people planning to have a garden. You know what you could do and what you should do is just an exercise of, of rejoicing this truth is when you open up those packets of seeds, and you pour those dry, dead things into your hand this spring, marvel. Marvel in worship that there is a good God who has determined that, that these things that are dead will give way to incredible and glorious life. And don't miss how hopeful this truth is for everybody who's lost a loved one who is a Christian. 
This is for our encouragement and for our joy. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, Paul makes that exact point and he encourages the church there with the resurrection because they had forgotten that death precedes life for those who are in Jesus. And there Paul writes these words, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brother, about those who are asleep, who've died. So you may not grieve as those, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that's Jesus, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Christ City, do you know this hope? Don't be shy of encouraging one another with these words. Death is an enemy, but in Christ, death is not an enemy who will have the final word. You know, our, our resurrection hope means that, that a Christian graveyard has more in common with a garden than a crypt. Isn't that exciting? If you can arrange it, there's no better place to be when Jesus returns than a graveyard full of Christians. But if that grosses you out, and all you can think of is Tim Burton and the living dead, uh, then you need to hear the next thing that Paul teaches from the seeds. And he, second, he, he shows us that seeds illustrate that what's raised, praise God, is different from the bodies that went in the ground. That's good news. Look at verse 37. And what you sow into the ground is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. See, one of the reasons the Corinthians struggled with the idea of resurrection was because they could only think of the living dead when they thought about the resurrection of the body. That's pretty gross. Nobody wants that. But Paul says, look at a seed. What's sown is a bare kernel, and it's different from what's coming. Because what will come from it will be glorious. Just like that northern Catalpa, glorious compared to the seed that was sown. And that's good news for you and for me. Especially if you know that your body is failing right now. For those of you here who are just so familiar with the disease that is in your body, for those that are aging and realizing this thing is just not working like it used to. I, I throw my back out when I go to sleep now. How's that possible? When you live with chronic pain, some of you have these different disabilities that, that hold you back and, and keep you from, from living a, a fullness of life that you would desire. And which of you would be excited about the resurrection if all you got back was this disease thing that died? <laughs> it's not that exciting. But Paul says, no, like a seed, the body planted is different from the plant that comes from it. And so to the resurrection body, Paul says, it's physical, it's related to what was sown, but it's different and it's gloriously good. If you want to look to an example, look no further than Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus was raised, he was raised human, but whole. He was raised scarred, but alive and well. 
He was raised recognizable as he ate and he drank with his friends, but different and glorified. I want to just stop and, and, and think about that together with you for a moment. You will be raised. If you trust in Jesus this morning, you will be raised. But you'll be different than you are today. You'll be raised glorified and physical and different. See, glorified is the word that the Bible uses to talk about this perfected physical reality of who we are when the resurrection comes. We'll be glorified. We'll be perfected. Our sin will be gone. Disease and decay will be gone. We'll be like Jesus who lived not less physically, but somehow more physically and beautifully different. And how appropriate is that? Because resurrection bodies are made for a resurrected world. And you're going to need a different body in that world, one that is strong and whole, freed forever from every stain of sin, perfectly suited for you to use every aspect of that body according to the gifts that God has given you to glorify him forever and forever. It's going to be good. It's not going to be disembodied existence. It's not going to be less substantial and less physical, but I think more. There's this beautiful quote by the author Andy Wilson on this point, and he writes in kind of a funny way, so bear with him, but it's it's a good example of what I'm talking about. He says, do you think that your hands will not blister in heaven? Or do you think that you will not, or do you think that you will look on your blisters differently? Do you think that your body, that flesh that now holds you back, will finally be put away and you will be free to listen to an eternal concert from the comfort of an ethereal massage chair? (laughs) And thank goodness, since the music will be classical and sleep will be your only defense. I mean, he's wrong on that point. I love classical music, but so far so good. Will you have a harp and sit on a cloud? I love this. He says, no, you will be given a new body, a better body, a body that won't break down or decay under its labor. This body that houses you now is but a vapor to the flesh that waits for you. When Christ rose, he rose in the flesh. He was no ghost, and yet he walked through the walls. The walls were the ghosts, and so are we. We are children when it comes to labor, when it comes to love, when it comes to shaping this world. How beautiful is that? To be raised glorified in a world that's not some airy, fairy, weird thing, but, but this world fixed. You, still physically you, but glorified to labor in it to the glory of Jesus. See, seeds teach us about the resurrection, that death precedes life, that what comes from the seed is different and more glorious than the seed. And third, that God himself is the creator who gives us our bodies. See, fundamentally, the Corinthians protested the resurrection body because they didn't believe their bodies were a good gift from their loving creator. They couldn't receive them as the gift that they were. And to them, Paul wrote, verse 38, that the bodies we have today and the bodies we'll have tomorrow are in fact a gift from the God who loves us. The God who wisely apportions to all his creation, all the bodies and all the created things as he's determined as his gift and his love. But God gives it a body, Paul writes, as he has chosen. 
Not as we've chosen, as he has chosen. Note that. And each kind of seed, he gives its own body. So I think there's a question here for us. How do you feel about your body? Do you wish that you had a different one? Do you wish that you had a, a better body than the one you have now, a healthier one, a stronger one, one that's more beautiful? Or do you receive your body from God as the gift that it is? See, God loves you, Christ City. Everyone in this room, he loves you, and he made you just as he desired you to be. Tall, short, male, female, with the characteristics and idiosyncrasies that you have that are different than the ones that I have. And even though you have weaknesses and struggles today in your body, he's promised to resurrect your body in glory. And all of this is gift to be received with thanksgiving. And this is a surprisingly important point for us because we go astray when it comes to our bodies in two significant ways. Either, I think, we try to find our identity independent of the body that God has given to us, or on the other hand, we try to find our identity by worshiping the body that God has given us as an idol. We try to find our identity independent of our body or make our bodies themselves an idol and an end on their own. And in Corinth, they fell into the first error because they imagined a perfect world where their true identity would be free from embodied existence. Like the body that they had didn't matter much about who they really were. And today, actually, we make the same error, don't we, in our own culture. And I think we do that most clearly and most apparently when we separate our gender identity from our physical embodied sexuality and sex. See, today we make this error um, in a significant way, and one I think that is very grievous and sad. I was working on my sermon earlier this week at J.J. Bean on Broadway, McKenzie. It's like my second home. It's my office there. And as I sat down to, to work, there was an issue of the Georgia Strait uh, on the table that was in front of me. And I, and I looked at it and started reading it a little bit. Um, and, and the first page of, of the Georgia Strait this week, it had uh, a picture of an African woman dancing, but it had a picture of trans black people who were watching her. And every person in, in the, the illustration was, was black and trans. And as I looked at that magazine, I thought this. I thought, you know what? It's beautiful and commendable that our culture wants to empower flourishing life and a meaningful identity for everyone. That's a beautiful gospel thing. But then I thought, it's just so sad, though, that we think we can find our identity this way. Because we're never going to be able to satisfy our longing for deep, authentic identity by trying to create an identity for ourselves that's independent of the body that God has given to us. See, that road, when we follow that path, it will only lead to violence to our bodies, both physically and psychologically. Because no matter how hard we try, we just simply can't create a different identity apart from the body that God has given us. We cannot be other than what God has determined that we are. But there's so much good news for us in the gospel of Jesus. Because we see that God in the gospel is a God who made us and who loves us, 
who desires to, to find peace and healing and meaningful identity by accepting the bodies that we have as a gift and learning by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the gospel to use the bodies that he's given to us according to the purpose that he has for them. Now, as, as often as we try to find authentic identity by rejecting the body, we actually do the same thing on the other side. And that's by worshiping our bodies as an idol. So if the first view says, my body is not who I am, the second view says, my body is all that I am. And this is just as much prevalent in our culture uh, as the first view. And this neighborhood perhaps is ground zero for that way of thinking because we found new ways to, to lift up and to exalt our physical existence far more than we ever thought possible. This is a neighborhood full of, of uh, endless exercise, of endless pursuit of, of beauty, of endless pursuit of spiritual practices and remedies that bring healing and wholeness to my body because this is who I am. And that path actually leads to this other view, which is transhumanism, which is very interesting. I don't know if you know about transhumanism, but this billion dollar, multi-billion dollar pursuit of preserving our physical bodies because it is all that we are in this view. But to treat our bodies like they don't matter or that they're all that matters is to miss the point of the body. Because the glory of the body is found when it's received as a gift that it is and used the purpose that God intended for it. So look at our next point then, and our much shorter point, <laughs> the glory of the body in verses 39 to 41. Paul says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. And the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. See, Paul's point in these verses is to teach that God is a creator of all flesh, but that he has not made all flesh the same. It's different. And the glory of that flesh is different according to, to its creational purpose. It's different purpose and different glory for every part of the creation, including us. Let the sun and the moon and the stars differ in their brightness according to the purpose that God created them for. So our glory as embodied creatures is found when we live according to our creational purpose. Our glory is found, our glory that God's bestowed on us is found when we live according to our creational purpose purpose. And that begs the question then, what is our purpose? What am I to do with this body? How do I live the identity that God's given to me by using this body as I should? And to answer that question, we need to look then at the person who is perfect. And the person who is perfect and a perfect example of what it means to be a embodied human creature is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because in the goodness and the kindness and the miracle of God, not only did God in his love give you your body and create it for you, but God in his love and in his humility, he became a human being in the person of Jesus. He entered his creation and he, he took a body for himself. And he took a body for himself in part to show you and I what our bodies were made for. When we look at Jesus in the gospel accounts, we see that he didn't spend his life idolizing his body. 
If you've got an image of Jesus walking past the mirror and kind of flexing, you know, like the, 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 gym, the gym monkey who's just always, always trying to be like, oh man, I, I, this robe looks so good on me today. You know, you, you got the wrong view of Jesus. That's not how Jesus thought about himself. He didn't live for his own comfort. He didn't go to the spa all the time just to, to pursue as much comfort and pampering of his physical body as he could. But on the other hand, now that he spent his days trying to fulfill his identity apart from his created and embodied existence. No, he received his body as a good gift and he received it with thanksgiving. You know how we can see that? We can see it because Jesus used his body always appropriately and obediently in relationship with God. He was submissive to the Father. He, he just said, look, God, I, I want to honor you. He never sinned. He used every moment of his life in this obedient, rejoicing, thankful way. He used his body as it was meant to. It was created for a lot of pleasure. Praise God for that. And, and he received his body that way. We see him living a whole human and full human life. He's eating and he's drinking with his friends. He's giving thanks. He's celebrating. He's receiving it as a gift that it is. But most of all, Jesus shows us the purpose of the body by the way he used his body to serve others for their good. Look at John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life and his body for his friends. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, teaching them that the purpose of who they are as embodied physical creatures is to serve one another through sacrificial love. And Jesus didn't just teach this, he lived it in this profound and beautiful way. And it's especially profound and beautiful when you remember who he is, fully God and fully man. And yet fully God who became low, became a creature who became human to serve and to love. Look at the glory of our embodied human Savior, Jesus Christ, in Philippians chapter 2. There Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men with a human body. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Shows us the purpose of our bodies in his self-giving. But do you see the glory that comes on the other side? Keep reading. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus teaches us the particular glory of our bodies is to live using our bodies as seed. Seed that's to be sown for the benefit of others in self-giving. And then when we've died, we will be raised like Jesus to an eternal and an unfading glory according to our purpose. I think it's so beneficial for us to stop and think about this in our lives. 
to think there will be a day, like we sang earlier, when we just stand before Jesus and pour all, our, pour all our affection and all our devotion at the feet of the King of Kings, who as we've labored by his Holy Spirit and trusted him in his grace to live like he has lived and using our bobby, bodies to, to serve one another, where he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Where he in turn will glorify and honor us for we will be glorified for having used our bodies according to their purpose. See, bodily resurrection is good news. And it's good news because it teaches us that death isn't the end. Praise God. That our broken bodies will be glorified and made new. That the body itself is a good gift to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. And with these truths in mind, I just have a few reflection points and ways that we can respond to what's been said here. I think, I think the first thing for us to take away from this and to respond with is to give thanks. See, a lot of us are just full of complaining and bitterness about our bodies. It's a reality. I mean, I, I'm, I'm there with you. or just bitterness in this life. But God gave us these bodies in his love for us as a gift. And we should thank him. We should live rejoicing that we have a glorious purpose that he's made for us, and that we have good work to do in this world as we await our glorification, the resurrection that's to come. Second, I think we can respond to the truth of what we see in these passages by thinking of our bodies differently than we're accustomed to. By realizing our bodies are not an idol to be worshipped, and neither are they a thing to be got rid of. They're Seed to be sown for the good of others as we await a resurrection and glory. And third, I think we can respond to, to these things by turning to God in dependence. Christ City, to live this way, we must abide in Christ. I'm not sure if you've tried to live a life of sacrifice for others, an imitation of Jesus on your own and in your own strength. It won't work. It's not going to work. It's as we come to Jesus confessing our sin and acknowledging, Jesus, I screw it up, man. Like, I, it's a mess. <laughs> Would you forgive me and make me new? As we come to him and learn to abide by the power of his Holy Spirit, to know that we are loved even in our mess, even in our sin and our feelings, that we're treasured and beloved children. And as we look to him, we, we start to be changed because as we look to him, we're full of his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit starts to shape us and change us and make us new from the inside out so that we are empowered to begin to live differently, to begin to imitate Jesus and use our bodies for their created purpose in serving one another. And lastly, by living our lives even in our suffering in the hope of the resurrection, we have glorious hope. There's hope for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult things are, because of the resurrection, there is hope. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, you don't need to lose heart. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As you look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Would you join me in receiving your body as a gift and using it to the glory of Jesus this week? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we come thankful, maybe a little rebuked. Thankful for the bodies you've given us. Lord, confessing our sin and, and using them incorrectly day after day. But rejoicing in your grace and the Savior that you've sent. When we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, you're the God that has given us your Spirit. And your Spirit is making us new. Help us to walk by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you continue to work that life of Jesus in our midst now as we long for the resurrection to come? Help us to labor well and in hope in Jesus' name. Amen.